Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor and I appreciate you just giving us a little bit of time on your Sunday morning or whenever you do get a chance to watch this. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is safe. So it's a great day to join us because today we're kicking off this brand new series that we're calling Better Off. And I just... I already am in love with it because I love the colors. You're going to see we got great slide color. It's fantastic. Anyway, I'm really excited about this new series because we're going to be talking about topics that we've actually never covered before. This is like brand new stuff, and, and we're going to be approaching it in a way that I think is going to be really interesting, and, and I hope you like it. So let me kind of catch you up to speed as to how we landed on this series and where we're going to be going for the next couple of weeks. So, do you remember back in March, if you can remember back that far, remember back in March when coronavirus really kind of just hit? It was like, let's call it March 15th when things got real and all of a sudden states were just shutting down all over the place and vacations had to be canceled and schools got closed and all of a sudden we were quarantined. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but six days or so into the quarantine, which is almost laughable at that point, but six days into this quarantine, the celebrities of America came together to just bring encouragement to the American people. And they did this by joining together from their houses to sing John Lennon's very famous song, Imagine. Remember this? Okay. Um, this song, Imagine, paints a picture of sort of a, a, a utopic world, um, sort of a borderless society where, with peace and, and love and, and everybody's kind of um, getting along. And, and the reality is that I don't care which side of the aisle you fall on, where you are in the political spectrum, I think we all kind of like that idea, right? Wouldn't it be great to live in a world where everybody gets along? Everything is, everything is nice. Well, the thing about the song Imagine. I mean, in spite of John Lennon's dulcet tones, if you will, okay, there's something about this song that never sat well with me. I don't know if you feel the same way, but whenever I heard that song, as beautiful sounding as it, as it is, something just didn't seem right. And when you go back and you actually listen to, to what he was saying, Lennon was saying that if you want peace, in this world, all right? If you want peace in the world that we live in, you're going to have to imagine a couple of things. And the lyrics, he says, all right, you're going to have to imagine that there's no heaven, okay? You're going to have to imagine that there's no hell below us. And you're going to have to imagine that above us, only sky. Now think about that for a second. Above us, only sky. Well, what else is above us? And if you didn't pick up on that, Right? If, if you're not picking up what he's selling right there, he makes it plainly obvious in, the, in, in sort of the next stanza when he says, imagine no religion. And that's a little troubling. I mean, isn't it? I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> this is one of those songs where you hear it and you start humming and maybe you start singing along and, and you never really realize that you're singing about the only way to have peace in this world is to get rid of God and get rid of religion. A little problematic if you're a Christian. 
Now, this song was written, or I should say released at least, I think in like the early 70s, 1970, 1971. And what's so interesting is that since the release of that song, and I'm not saying this is because of that song, maybe the song was a product of this particular era, but since the release of this song in the early 1970s, atheism has taken off. I mean, particularly in the academic world, atheism has just skyrocketed. There's all kinds of books that hit the New York Times bestseller list. And, and this song, Imagine, asks the question, it kind of posed the question that I believe is a question that is now echoed around the world. I believe it's a question that perhaps maybe some of you have asked in the past, or, or maybe you're asking right now. That, that question is, are we better off without God? Are we better off without God? I mean, if we got rid of God, would we have peace in this world instead of war? I mean, if we, let's say, walked away from Christianity, just kind of did this, said sayonara, nice knowing you. If we got rid of Christianity, would we finally have love in this world and not hate? Interestingly enough, in 2016, Harvard University set out to answer this question, are we better off without God? And what they found actually might surprise you. So these scholars up at Harvard, um, they began research, sort of the effects, if you will, of religion on individuals and, and I think subsequently uh, societies. Here's what they concluded. They said that religion might be a miracle drug. Wait, hold on. What was that? Yeah, no. They, they, we, we kind of researched religion, and we've actually come to the conclusion that religion might be a miracle drug. Wait, hold on. I thought, I thought God was the problem. I mean, I thought, I mean, we all sang that song, didn't we? I mean, I thought religion was to blame for all the ills of society, and if there were no religion, if you can imagine that, we'd have peace in this world. Take a look at how Harvard sort of described their findings about religion. They said this, if one could conceive of a single elixir to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans, what value would our society place on it? I mean, this was written by a Harvard professor, not some pastor. I mean, throughout this study, Harvard concluded that Christianity had tremendous mental and physical benefits for its participants. They actually found that going to church lowered mortality rates by 20 to 30% over a 15 to 20 year period. They found that Christians were more optimistic, had lower rates of depression, were less likely to commit suicide, had greater purpose in this life, were less likely to divorce, and had more self-control. In setting out to answer the question, are we better off without God? Harvard gave a resounding, no, 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 you are not better off without God. Wow, I mean, I don't know about you, but this is just wildly encouraging for me because we live in a world that screams that we need less of God, right? We live in a country that, that screams that we need less of God, and yet here we are, one of the world's most prominent and secular institutions are saying, based on our calculations, what we found in our studies, 
You are better off with God in your life. That's amazing. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks um, is just a, a very light, simple, kind of nice little summer series. And I want to explore four practices, let's call it, four practices that are found in Scripture that psychologists would point to and say, yes, this. If you do these things, you will be better off in life. So today, as we kind of kick off this series, Better Off, I want to talk about an activity that most of you do. Um, it's an activity that probably many of you started to do when you were teenagers. Um, and the scripture has a lot to say about it. I'm speaking about work. Okay? Now, work is an interesting word because work is a noun. Work is also a verb, and work is also a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, for many of you, like, work is a nightmare. I mean, many people, you hate your job, you hate your boss, you hate your commute, you hate your coworkers. Work is just a means to an end. Work, you know, we're just sort of working for the weekend. Everybody, okay, well, everybody's working for the weekend, all right? And the only thing, the only thing that is making that meeting, which could be an email, by the way, the only thing that's making that meeting bearable is the fact that you're going to be going to shooters for happy hour afterwards. All right? This is work for most of us. Additionally, at least in America, we have been programmed to think that, let's say the goal of work is retirement. All right? That, that everything we do from our very first job, and by the way, my first job was working in a miniature golf course, getting paid $3 and 25 cents an hour, right? Everything that we do in this world, from our very first job to, to our current job, is solely in preparation for when you don't have to have a job anymore. And one of the byproducts, I think, of being so, so focused on retirement, either the goal or sort of the expectation of retirement, is that it actually sends a signal to your brain that work is bad, right? Work is bad, but... Don't, you know, listen, one day, you're not going to have to work anymore, right? One day, you won't have to do email anymore. One day, you won't have to deal with that manager anymore. And one day, you won't have to deal with that coworker who's heating fish up for lunch, all right? And by the way, if you're a Christian heating fish up for lunch in the office, don't, okay? You don't do that. That's just, a, that's just not, a wise, it's not a wise thing to do. Save it for later. But for now, okay, it's kind of like with your job, just stiff upper lip. Okay, push through it, old chap. You, you're gonna, you, you know, you'll get to the other end. And then you have those people. I don't, I don't know if you've met these people, but then you have people that say things like, "Well, you know, do what you love, right? Do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life." Okay, that sounds great, but I don't think anybody's paying you to watch Netflix and, and drink pina coladas on the beach. Okay, so <laughs> we might not all be able to do the things that you love in this life. And, and, and keeping on this work idea, what's interesting is that there, there seems to be this idea, almost a, a theology, really, that, that people, and even Christians, I would say, particularly, believe that work is a curse. Let me explain. There is this idea that, that because of the fall of man, that because of sin, that when sin entered this world, because of that sin and because of that fall, 
we now have to work. Well, what's so interesting is that when you read scripture, you actually see that the opposite is true. That in the beginning, way in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, we as humans were actually created to work. Take a look at this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, The Lord God took the man, speaking of Adam, the Lord God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This happened before the fall of man, right? Work is not a result of sin. Work is part of God's original design for humanity. Work is what we were created to do. And if that's true, why does work feel like work? You know what I mean? I mean, studies show that many, many workers feel uninspired, unappreciated, and insignificant. I mean, is this you? I mean, let's be honest, is this you? Do you, do you feel this way every day? Do you feel this way do you, some days? I mean, do you, look at, do you look at your life, do you look at your job, and you just say, honestly, something's got to change. Something has got to change. Well, 2,000 years ago, Paul agreed with you. Something does have to change. So he gave the Christian worker some advice. And, and what's so interesting is that it is advice that today psychologists praise. It is advice that today Harvard Business Review promotes. Take a look at what Paul said. Colossians 3.23. He said this, whatever work you do, Okay? Whatever work you do, do with all your heart. And I love the fact that he says, whatever. It's kind of slightly problematic because he, he didn't say something like, hey, you know what? Once you get that raise, do your job with all your heart. Yeah. Well, once, once you get that promotion, then do your job with all your heart. Well, once you, once you get tenure, once you land that dream job, then guys, as Christians, I want you to do your job with all your heart. He didn't say that. He goes, whatever work you do, do with all your heart. He's saying, whatever you do right now, today, June 2020, I mean, he'd say that, but like whatever your job is right now in this moment, I want you as a follower of Jesus Christ to do your job with all your heart. And we hear this and we kind of go, Really, Paul? I mean, do you know what I like? Do you know what I do? You know what I do? I mean, I just feel like anybody could 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 do what I do. I mean, I'm a temp, or this job is just filling some gap in time, or I never wanted this job, or hey, Paul, I lost my dream job and now I'm 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 doing this job. I mean, Paul, work with all my heart, Paul. My boss, my manager, they don't even work with all their heart. You want me to work with all my heart? And then he hits us with a game changer. That, what he says next is what Harvard pointed to and says, this right here, this is the secret sauce. This right here is what's gonna make you better off in life. Paul says, whatever work you do, do it with all your heart. Do it for the Lord 
and not for now. In other words, Paul is saying, listen guys, tomorrow, when you show up for work, whether it's at Publix or at the construction zone, maybe it's at a, a law office or, or at a hospital, wherever it is that you go to work, when you show up there tomorrow, show up as though you're going there to work for the Lord himself. That when you get there tomorrow, the Lord himself, God, Jesus, he's your shift manager. He's your boss. He's your CEO. Now we hear this, and this is a concept that is like, it's so foreign to us. I mean, what does it even, what does it even mean? What does it look like to work as unto the Lord, that, that God is, as your, I mean, we know what it looks like to work for man, don't we? I mean, working for man looks like, you know, doing the bare minimum, right? Eh, I'll just do the bare minimum to squeak by and not get fired. Work for man is taking office supplies. Need a couple of pens from home, I'll take them from work. Need some toilet paper, right? All that kind of stuff. Maybe I'm taking long lunches. I get 30 minutes, eh, 35 is fine, maybe 40. I get an hour, I was gone too. Maybe I had a martini. What are you going to do, right? This is working for the man. Or maybe it gets a little darker. Maybe working for man is stealing credit for things that you didn't really do. Jockeying for, for a position, engaging in, in cutthroat competitions. I mean, we are experts in working for man. And, and many of us wonder why we lack peace and, and joy and purpose in our jobs. Well, maybe it's because we're working for man and we're not working for God. So Paul's like, guys, here's the deal. I want you to begin to live by a whole new standard. That no matter what job you have, from designing the building to sweeping its floors, I want you to see your work as an act of worship. Sort of like, just as you go to church as an act of worship, just as you sing songs in church, or listen to Christina sing the songs, and Christian sing the songs, right? Just as you sing songs as an act of worship, just as you donate your time and your talent and, and, and your money as an act of worship to God. Now, Paul says, now, I want you to view what you do from Monday to Friday, from nine until five, as an act of worship. That whatever you do, I want you to begin to shift your perspective from this just pays the bills to I am serving the Lord. This is a, this is a lofty goal that Paul is giving us. I mean, I mean, it really is. And, it, and it's one that I think we hear, and I think, if we're being honest, I think we're tempted to give it sort of the Christian moan of affirmation, the old, mm, mm, yes, 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 yes and then do nothing with it, right? Sounds great, looks good in the slide, but what the heck do you do with it? I mean, we don't really understand what it means to, to work as unto the Lord. And, and so what I want to do for the, just the remainder of our time, the next couple of minutes, all I want to do is I just want to give you a couple of examples of what it would practically look like to work for the Lord and kind of take a look at what impact it might have on our life and perhaps even the people around us. So, the first thing that I think we want to do in our sort of pursuit, if you will, of working for the Lord, is we want to begin to connect work to service. 
so often. Um, so often, I think we think about our job as a task to be done to put a paycheck in our pocket, right? Just a task we do to put a paycheck in our pocket. But psychologists will tell you that if you are only working to get a paycheck, you are, you're just not going to be satisfied. That's just the reality of how the human brain works, which means that there must be some greater reason for why we do what we do. Now, scripturally, we know a couple of things. We know that God gave every single one of us, whether you realize it or not, God gave every single one of us gifts and talents, not only to serve him, but to perform jobs. These gifts and talents weren't given to us, just benefit us, right? He didn't give us these abilities just to put money in our pockets, but ultimately to serve others and for the greater good. And by consciously connecting our work to those we're ultimately serving, it, it, it makes working more purposeful. Here's what it means. It means, it means that you're not just a teacher. You are shaping the lives of students who will one day go on to shape the lives of other people. It means you're not just an accountant. You are helping people stay organized so that they can achieve their own goals. That's what it means to, to connect what you do to the people you are serving. It, 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 it gives a whole new level of purpose to our jobs. In prep for this message, I was reading a, a really interesting study um, that observed the attitudes of custodians in hospitals whose job it was to clean out bedpans and clean up vomit. All right, so these are not what you would call glamorous jobs. So they were observing their, their attitudes. And they found something really interesting. What they found is that those custodians who, and I quote, saw themselves as part of a team that cared for sick people, those people, they found, went above and beyond to do their job with excellence. Those people saw their work as a calling, and those people enjoyed their work far more than their counterparts who just saw it as a job to get a paycheck. See, what we learn is that whatever job you do, whatever it is, we all have a job at some level, whatever job you do, all of us at some level serve someone. And when you begin to connect your job to a person rather than a paycheck, you might for the very first time in your career begin to feel satisfied and significant. So, who do you serve? Next, working for the Lord creates eternal opportunities. I was thinking all week about how to sort of say this. I was workshopping it, but I'm landing on this. Working for the Lord, I believe, creates eternal opportunities. What does that mean? All right. When you begin to sort of um, embrace the paradigm shift that is working for the Lord, you're going to begin to act and look and work very differently from your average coworker. And when they look at you and how you do your job, they're going to see the way that you treat others with kindness. They're going to see you not engaging with gossip. They're going to see you showing up, not just on time, but early. They're going to, show you, they're going to see you 
staying till the job is done, not just till the whistle's blown. Right? They're going to see you going above and beyond the call of duty. And trust me when I say this, at some point, they're going to say, what's up with you? Why are you different? I mean, John or, or whoever, whatever your name is, you know, I watch you work and we have the same job and we get paid the same amount, but it's almost like you work for a different company. I mean, I'm watching you and it's like you're having a completely different work experience than I'm having. What's up with that? This gives you a tremendous opportunity. All of a sudden you can say, hey, you know what? Um, it's funny you should ask. Years ago, years ago, I decided that I was no longer going to work for man, that I was going to work for the Lord. And it changed my life. I mean, it, it, it really did. See, one of the amazing consequences of, of working for the Lord is that no matter where you work, the way you work becomes a way to share the gospel. You see, many of us work in corporate America where we, I mean, simply legally can't talk about our faith. It's a shame, but that's sort of the, the era or the country we, we live in. But when you live out and embody what it means to work as unto the Lord, your actions speak volumes. And Jesus is preached through your work ethic, and God is honored right in the midst of your workplace. It's truly, truly amazing. So this next concept. I actually learned this next concept through speaking with a fellow member of yours, someone who comes to DHC, a volunteer, Heather Mahoney. You have run into her perhaps um, as a greeter at our front door. And I reached out to her this week because I, want, I wanted to pick her brain about this topic. Heather runs a company called um, Success Strategy Advisor. And she does something really interesting. Her goal was to create personal roadmaps for success. So I thought she would be a great person to talk to her about this idea. So I called her up this week and I said, Heather, here's the study that Harvard came up with. Uh, and I'm really diving into this idea of what it looks like to begin working for the Lord. Do you have any comments on this? Have you, have you seen this in your travels? And she gave me some great insight. Here, here's what she said. She says, when you bring God into the workplace, meaning when you begin to work for the Lord, something happens. It removes unhealthy competition. This is interesting. So often the workplace is all about me, right? My job, my paycheck, my promotion. It's I got to get my piece of the pie. And often it's at the expense of other people, pushing away, pushing them down. Coworkers, they're seen as obstacles in the way or, or they're seen as targets that must be beaten or destroyed. Um, that mindset, that's working for man. But when you work for the Lord, when you work for the Lord, it's almost like scales fall from your eyes. And for the first time, perhaps, you see that your coworkers, they're people who are just like you, who have families just like you. And now, instead of work being all about you, Work has become an opportunity to help others be better. I mean, imagine that. I mean, imagine that for a second. Imagine seeing your coworker 
as a teammate and not a rival. I mean, imagine working in an environment where your coworkers build each other up instead of tearing each other down. Imagine an environment where your coworkers inspire you to be the best version of yourself. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a phenomenal work environment. And lastly, when you choose to work for the Lord, it begins to shift your source of validation. See, one of the reasons I believe that we struggle with work is because we tend to ask work to do something it was never intended to do. Namely, to be our source of validation, our source of self-worth, and, and our source of our identity. We talked about this last week, but work was never meant to carry that kind of weight in our lives. But when we begin to shift our source of validation from our jobs to Jesus, it enables us to see ourselves vis-a-vis -vis work in a different light. For example, many times, okay, unfortunately many of us might work for bosses that are, shall we say, not encouraging, okay? Um, they don't recognize the hard work that you do, and what happens? I mean, it leaves you feeling defeated and discouraged, and that certainly doesn't sort of uh, drive you to work with all of your hearts. But Paul says that when you work for the Lord, remember, this is the next verse, remember, you will get your reward from the Lord. He will give you what you should receive. You are working for Lord Christ. Paul's like, look, listen, here's the deal, guys. All right, here's the truth. On this earth, all right, when you work for humans, sometimes you're going to get human responses. It just might not be that encouraging. It might not be that good. But don't forget, ultimately, you work for him. Okay? Which means... He's watching you. He's keeping an eye on how you're working. He sees what you're doing at the office. He will take care of you. He will make sure that you get the rewards that you should receive, either in the forms of blessings in this life or perhaps greater responsibilities in, in the life to come. And when we begin to understand that and we begin to internalize that, I think you can finally have peace in the workplace. You can have more confidence, you can have more joy, and be able to give of yourselves in a healthy way to the work before us. So, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at THC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure that you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So, this week, I have two questions for you that I just... I want you to marinate on for the rest of the day and, and, and for the rest of the week for that matter. And the first one is this. What would it look like to work for the Lord tomorrow? I'm not talking about working for the Lord forever. I'm not talking even about working for the Lord all next week. I mean, what would it look like for you, you personally, to just work for the Lord tomorrow with all your heart? What would have to change in your life? What wouldn't you do? What would be different? 
What wouldn't you say? What would happen at lunch? What time would you get there? What would it look like for you personally tomorrow to work for the Lord with all of your heart? And secondly, and honestly, this next question might apply to no one. It might apply to one person. It might apply to a group of people. I don't know. But all week long, it was sort of on my heart. And so I'm just going to put it out there because, you know, when you feel a conviction, you just got to follow it. So, so here you go. Can you do your work as unto the Lord with a clear conscience? Can you personally, I don't know what your job is, I don't know what line of work you're in, can you personally do your work as unto the Lord with a clear conscience? Maybe you got yourself into a career industry where there's activities going on, there are procedures in place that just fight against your spirit. And it's like, you know that you know that you know that when it comes to this job, when it comes to this activity, it comes to this thing, that you're, it's, you're just not honoring God. And it's forced you to almost compartmentalize your life. It's, it's like, yeah, that's what I do, but, but here's who I am. And it's kind of like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but this pays the bills, right? Got, got, got to put food on the table. If you are someone, okay? If you are someone who has felt that conviction about your job or about something your job has asked you to do, Maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's time to make a change. Because your Heavenly Father, He's not just interested in, in your marriage. He's not just interested in how you raise your kids. He's interested in what you do and how you do it. So let me pray for Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come together today as a church, even if it is still over the internet, Lord. And we pray that hopefully soon, one day, when it's safe, that we might be able to meet again. But I want to thank you that today we can have a discussion about work, Lord, because it is something that we all do, and it is something that we all struggle with, Lord. But it is something that you have made us to do, God. And I pray that, that even today we might begin to think about our jobs differently. I, I, I pray, Lord, that we might begin to understand what it means to work for you, that you would begin to challenge us in our attitudes, in our behaviors, frankly, just in our work ethic, Lord, that when we show up on that job, we are representing you. And Lord, I know that according to your scriptures, that when we begin to work according to your will, and according to your will is us working for you, that we might begin to feel your blessings. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us all in our work. Be with us this week. Keep us safe. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.